I was born in 2025. But I wish I'd grown up in the 1980s. Like all my heroes. I live here in Columbus, Ohio. In 2045, it's still ranked the fastest growing city on Earth. But it sure doesn't seem like it when you live in the stacks. They called our generation the missing millions. Missing not because we went anywhere. There's nowhere left to go. Nowhere except the Oasis. It's the only place that feels like I mean anything. A world where the limits of reality are your own imagination. Man, at the movies week two, man, I'm excited to be here today. In fact, I've been looking forward to this series for a couple months now because let's be honest, who doesn't love a good movie? Any movie lovers in the house today? Any movie lovers? Okay, there's three people who love movies in Irondequoit. Let the record show. Well, hey, good morning. You've probably already heard it four or five times, but welcome to Northridge Church this morning. We're so glad that you decided to take some time out of your busy holiday weekend and join us here. We know there are about a million things you could be doing on the 4th of July weekend, so we're glad you decided to spend your morning here with us. And so whether you're joining us online or from one of our four Rochester area campuses, we're so glad you're here today. And we hope that this morning is enjoyable for you. And maybe even more importantly than that, we hope that this morning is maybe even life-changing for you. And like I said, we're continuing today in our series called At The Movies, where we're taking a look at some of our favorite movies and looking at the ideas and themes that are in them and then comparing those ideas, good, bad, or ugly, with what the Bible has to say. And the reason for this is that we think that the movies our culture creates reflect the ideas that our culture believes. The movies our culture creates reflect the ideas that our culture believes. And if we want to be able to navigate life in this world as a follower of Jesus, or even just navigate life in general, we we need to be actively engaging and thinking through the ideas that our culture holds to. So we're taking a look at the ideas that show up in some of our favorite movies. Now, a couple things to keep in mind here. We're not watching the whole movie. I'm not even going to summarize the whole movie. You don't have to have seen the movie to follow along. We're just going to take some of the big ideas that show up in these movies and show them to you and then compare those with what, how the real world works and also with what the Bible says. So for those of you who haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Matt. I'm one of our Henrietta campus staffers. I need to give a shout out to the Hen fam. I miss you guys. And as for all the rest of you, you're missing out because that's the best campus, just saying. 
I may be a little biased. I also want to point out a couple special people who are here today. Let's all give a warm four-campus welcome to Matt's family. They're right here in the front row, or second row. They came in town for the holiday season, and my wife and I, we've spent the last couple days basically just trying to keep them entertained, um, coming up with stuff to do in Rochester. And in the past few days, I've learned something really important about my life, and that is that I am incredibly boring. In fact, I don't know that there's a faster way to learn how lame your life is than by having company over because we're trying to figure out a cool restaurant to go to and I realized that I only ever eat at Applebee's and Red Robin because let's be honest, ain't nobody got time to find parking downtown where all the cool restaurants are, am I right? Or we're thinking about stuff to do together and I realized that I've spent the last six weekends just watching HGTV reruns while eating potato chips straight out of the bag, which is fine, but it doesn't exactly make a great family activity. Actually, all of this got me thinking back to my childhood. And like any good household, we had some rules going up. And a couple of those rules were unwritten rules. You know the ones I'm talking about. They're not actually on the books, but everyone knows exactly what they are and no one ever breaks them. Well, one of those rules in our house was that you were not allowed to say that you were bored. Because of course, how could you possibly be bored with all of these expensive toys and with the video game system that costs hundreds of dollars and with the swing set that dad spent an entire weekend putting up? And that's not even talking about the fact that there's dishes to be done and laundry to be folded and your room still isn't clean. So how could you possibly be bored in this house? So not gonna lie, there's a part of me that when my family showed up, what I kind of wanted to do was just like leave a sink full of dishes and then wait for my moment. But I'm smarter than that. I know better than to do that. And besides... It's 2019. We don't get bored anymore. In fact, I genuinely couldn't tell you the last time I was bored. Now, sure, there have been times where I'm not enjoying the thing that I'm currently doing as much as I thought I would. But true boredom, where I feel like I don't have any options to entertain myself with, it's been years since I've felt that. And why is that? Well, I think a lot of it is this thing right here. Because there's always another video to watch, there's always another post to read, and there's always another level to play. In fact, the invention of the internet, more specifically the smartphone era, has erased entire human experiences from our life. Think about this. There's, there's, imagine this. There's a, a group of guys on the 4th of July. They're standing around the grill flipping some burgers, and they're having a full-on argument about who was the MVP of Super Bowl IX. See, that, that used to be an argument. Now it's like a four-second Google search. Or how about this? How about this? You can't remember whether you're supposed to peel the potatoes for the beef stew that you're making. Well, guess what? You can literally get Gordon Ramsay's opinion on it nowadays. Can't identify the song that's currently playing? Good thing. You got Shazam. Can't find the street? GPS. If it's too quiet in the room, there's Spotify. If it's too noisy in the room, well, we got noise cancellation. The internet has literally erased entire human experiences from our day-to-day -day life. We've moved past the point where, hey, does anyone have a flashlight is even a valid question anymore because, of course, everyone has a flashlight. The internet has become this all-encompassing thing that touches just about every single aspect of our lives, which to me begs the question then, what would it look like if it was every single aspect of our lives? Check this out. I was born in 2027, after the corn syrup droughts, after the bandwidth riots, after people stopped trying to fix problems and just tried to outlive them. My parents, they didn't make it through those times, so I live here in Columbus, Ohio with my Aunt Alice. In 2045, Columbus is the fastest growing city on Earth. 
It's where Halliday and Morrow started gregarious games. These days, reality is a bummer. Everyone's looking for a way to escape. And that's why Halliday, that's why he was such a hero to us. He showed us that we could go somewhere without going anywhere at all. You don't need a destination when you're running on an omnidirectional treadmill with quadraphonic pressure-sensitive underlay. James Halliday saw the future, and then he built it. He gave us a place to go, a place called the Oasis. This is the Oasis. It's a place where the limits of reality are your own imagination. You can do anything. Go anywhere. Like the vacation planet. Surf a 50-foot monster wave in Hawaii. You can ski down the pyramids. You can climb Mount Everest with Batman. Check out this place. It's a casino the size of a planet. You can lose your money there. You can get married. You can get divorced. You can, you can go in there. People come to the Oasis for all the things they can do, but they stay because of all the things they can be. Tall, beautiful, scary, a different sex, a different species, live action, cartoon. It's all your call. Yeah, that's me. Well, that's my avatar. At least until I feel like changing. Except for eating, sleeping, and bathroom breaks, whatever people want to do, they do it in the Oasis. And since everyone is here, this is where we meet each other. It's where we make friends. In the dystopian world of 2045 Columbus, Ohio, Wade Watts, along with the rest of humanity, spends the majority of his time in the Oasis, which is an online multiplayer virtual reality world that has taken over the world. It has a huge flair for the 1980s and was created by a man named James Halliday. The Oasis is everything you want it to be. You can be whoever you want. You can do whatever you want. Famine, war, overpopulation all disappear in the Oasis. And for the longest time, that's exactly what the Oasis was. It was just another place to live life. That is, until its creator, James Halliday, died. And as his last living act, he revealed that the Oasis contained a hidden Easter egg that, if found, would grant the finder access to Halliday's entire fortune and, more importantly, control over the Oasis itself. So Wade, along with his ragtag group of friends, search for the three hidden keys that will unlock the Easter egg, and all the while are in constant danger from a large corporation called the IOI that will stop at nothing and spare no expense in their own search for the egg. Because in Ready Player One, where an online world has taken priority over real life, fighting for control of that online world ultimately means fighting for control of all reality. And all of this makes for a genuinely awesome movie, especially if you've got any nerd in you like I do. But am I really suggesting 
that us in 2019 can learn something from a movie like this. After all, we're just now figuring out how to make virtual reality work without instantly inducing motion sickness, let alone all the virtual reality bodysuits and omnidirectional treadmills. We've got a long time before we have to think of any of these problems, right? Well, while all the cool gizmos and gadgets may make it seem like it's a long ways off, I think that the reality is that the world of Ready Player One is just a slightly more advanced version of a world that we all already live in. See, when I look at Wade and his friends, I don't see a distant future. I just see a leveled up version of a game that we already play every single day. See, Ready Player One shows us a world where everyone lives their lives online. And while we may not have the oasis at our disposal, you'd be hard pressed to say that that isn't true for us today. After all, studies show that the Amer average American spends four hours a day on their smartphone. That averages out to one day out of every single week. 56% of smartphone owners say that the last thing they do every day is check their smartphone. And 75% of smartphone owners say that the first thing they do every day is check their phone. In fact, 12% of adults nowadays admit to using their phone in the shower. 12%. 54% of teens say that they spend, quote, too much time on their phone. Do you guys have any idea how hard it is to get a teenager to admit that they do too much of anything? And before we get too hard on all the youngins, 56% of parents report checking their phone while driving. But I think it goes deeper than just how much time we spend online. You see, one of the consistent themes all throughout Ready Player One is that even though most of the action takes place in the Oasis, those actions frequently have consequences in the real world. And for us, 26% of car accidents nowadays involve cell phone usage. And a child who spends seven hours of screen time per day is twice as likely to experience symptoms of depression. And maybe that makes sense because 59% of teenagers report being bullied or harassed online. In fact, the average teen spending five hours a day on a smartphone is 71% more likely to have suicide risk factors than a teen who only spends an hour a day. In fact, the teen suicide rate has now eclipsed the teen homicide rate in most communities, and one of the driving forces behind that is seeming to be emotions that arise from online interactions. See, we may not have all the cool virtual reality suits, but we do have our own world of endless possibilities, our own online world where we choose to be whoever we want to be. And when you strip back all the futuristic technology, take away all the computer graphics and crazy CGI, I think that what Ready Player One leaves us with is a desperate warning against a life lived online. And specifically, I think that what Ready Player One does for us is highlight some key areas where an online life falls short of the life that we desire, and I would say the life that God created us for. And I think these warnings are not only timely, I think they line up incredibly well with what the Bible has to say. And so today we're going to talk specifically a lot about social media, but I don't want you to get the idea that as long as you don't have a Facebook or Instagram account that you're immune to these problems, because the reality is that while these show up most clearly in social media, these are becoming problems that are weaving themselves into the very fabric of our society. So whether you have a Facebook account or not, we have to be able to navigate these problems. And first and foremost, in order to understand any of this, I think we have to nail down one big central idea, and that is that we are created for community. We're created for community. One of the most central teachings of all of the Bible is that God designed us to live and experience life through relationships. 
In fact, in the opening pages of the Bible, God is described as the creator of all the universe, and he's looking over all of his creation and assessing it. And he's saying that it's all good. The sky is good. The trees are good. The birds are good. The fish are good. And then out of nowhere, Genesis 2.18 hits us in the face. The Lord God said, it is not good. It is not good for the man to be alone. So I will make a helper suitable for him. In the middle of an otherwise perfect creation, before sin even enters the picture, the one thing that God seems to have a problem with is that man is not in community. We are wired to be connected with other humans. God designed us that way. And so to me, it makes a ton of sense that a bunch of humans would develop technology and websites designed to connect us together. After all, we call it social media for a reason. But the reality is that these online worlds that we've created ultimately fall short of giving us what we truly desire, the desire that God has wired us to have. They ultimately miss the mark in filling our God-given need for community. Why don't you take a look at this? Dude, you want the key and that 100,000 coins? As soon as I took the key, all the coins just appeared in my account. I'll tell you what, I'm soiling my haptics right now. It's a bomb. It kills every avatar on the planet. Even the owner. Who wants that? IOI. They buy everything. 20,000 for the holy hand grenade? That's a steal. Whoa. Zemeck is cute. I need one of those. Okay, don't spend all your money. X1 haptic boot suit. Look at all that stuff. This scene is probably the most concentrated instance of a theme that runs all throughout the movie. And that is that in the Oasis, everyone is obsessed with stuff. And maybe more importantly than that, everyone is obsessed with everyone else's stuff. In the Oasis, you flaunt what you have. If you have a giant battle suit, you wear that giant battle suit. In fact, there's literally a giant 1980s Jumbotron scoreboard that somehow manages to be visible from everywhere that's keeping track of who's winning and who has the most stuff at any given time. And like all things in the Ready Player One world, this mentality doesn't stay inside of the Oasis. One of the first scenes of the movie shows Wade's uncle literally punching Wade in the face because Wade took a piece of virtuality, virtual reality equipment from him. The Oasis is a world that almost seems purposely built to harbor greed and to foster comparison. Well, good thing that doesn't sound familiar at all, right? Yeah, of course it sounds familiar. We all see this every day. All you have to do is boot up your social media of choice and it's immediately right there in front of you. The Johnsons are at Disney. Again, he just got another new car. She just got a promotion. They're on vacation. They're at that restaurant. It's everywhere, and there may not be a literal jumbotron floating in the sky telling us who's got the most stuff, but there might as well be, because let's be honest, there's one in every single one of our heads. And this is not healthy, and Ready Player One is clear about that, and so is the Bible. The Bible says that God designed us for contentment, and our social media world's designed for comparison, but God designed us for contentment. In the book of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, who became one of Jesus' earliest followers, despite the fact that he was initially an active opponent of Christianity, he says this, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, we do not dare classify ourselves or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves, because when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. 
See, the consistent refrain of the Bible is that the wise person is not constantly comparing themselves to others. In fact, it's in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet. God's most basic set of rules goes out of its way to say, hey, don't compare your stuff to other people's stuff. In fact, I think this is most bluntly stated in the book of Ecclesiastes, which says this, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Now, don't get me wrong. Discontentment and comparison are not unique to us today. Humans have struggled with this from the beginning of time, but we are the first people in history who are able to see into the lives of others in real time. And you and I all know that that only makes this problem that much worse. See, God's design is for us to be content, but an online life is one filled with comparison. And the Bible, just like Ready Player One, warns us that until we can learn to conquer the monster of comparison, we'll never find true contentment and we'll never experience peace. Because it's a never-ending hamster wheel of pain, of discouragement, and of unwise decisions. We need to pursue contentment, despite the fact that our online world is designed to do exactly the opposite. There's a second warning that Ready Player One has for us. I want to take a look at this. So, I've been thinking, maybe it'd be cool if we met up in the real world. Nah, you'd be disappointed. No, I wouldn't. I like you. You don't even know me. This isn't what I really look like. This isn't my real body. Or my real face. I don't care. I want to know your real name. My name's Wade. What? I said my name's... Stop! Well, Buckaroo blows it. Shocking. Are you crazy? You don't tell anyone who you are. You can't use your real name. You're not just anyone. You don't know me. You don't know anything about me. We've never met. I do know you, Artie. I'm in love with you. Part of the challenge? No! It's an ambush! I-O-I, always in the way. Did you hear what I said? I said I'm in love with you. No, you're not. You know what I want you to know. You only see what I want you to see. That's what you're in love with. You only know what I want you to know, and you only see what I want you to see. That's what you're in love with. See, the second warning that Ready Player One has for us is that an online world, in an online world, what you see is not what you get. And so whether it's Wade's friend reminder that the pretty girl that he has a crush on might actually be a 500-pound guy from Detroit named Chuck, or... <laughs> or whether it's Artemis's own warning that Wade is not in love with who he thinks he's in love with. The film is filled with constant reminders that an online life is filled with control and with secrecy. I get to control what you see and when you see it. I get to hide all of my flaws and show off all of my strengths. I can be whatever I wanna be and it's not hard to see how this can quickly become dangerous. Not only does it further feed into the monster of discontentment, it flies in the face of the fact that God designed us for authenticity. God designed us for authenticity. Our social media world is designed for the opposite. It's designed for control. 
See, God designed us to live in community, but more than that, he designed us to live in an authentic community where we're known by others and, others and we know others as well. But instead, we've created a world where I can build up walls around the most important parts of myself and to make sure that no one ever truly knows the real me. You can almost hear the pain in Artemis's voice when she's scolding Wade. You don't know the real me. It's the pain of someone who's not truly known by anyone. And it's the fear that if she were to be open and authentic, that she would lose the relationships that she's built. Contrast that to what the Bible says in the book of James. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins, your flaws, your worst parts to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Or in John 8.32, simply this, the truth will set you free. See, we're designed to long for real, authentic relationships, but an online life presents us with hundreds of opportunities to hide ourselves, to play our cards close to the chest and control how much of ourselves we share. See, the heroes in Ready Player One learn that true relationships are only found in the context of authenticity. And I think today we need to learn that lesson too. There's a third warning that Ready Player One has for us. Check this out. IOI. So the stacks are over there. We've been living this close to each other the whole time. Next door. Around the world, it's, it's all the same in the Oasis. For the record, um, I'm not disappointed. You know, you, you said I, I would be disappointed when I met you, but I'm not. I've lived with it my whole life. You don't have to pretend. You have a birthmark. So what? Why would that scare me? Call me Z. Did I? I think you did. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. Whoa. Yeah, Wade, Z. You can call me whatever you want. I'll call you Sam. No. Samantha? Okay. Cool. Wow. So much slower here. catch that? Everything is so much slower here. See, I think the here that Wade is referring to isn't just Samantha's rooftop. I think he's referring to life outside of the oasis. See, an online world is a frantic world. It's 47 notifications here to three new Instagram posts there to 28 new emails here. Ding, 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 and it never stops. God designed us for rest. God designed us for rest. Our social media world is designed for distraction, but God designed us for rest. And I don't think it's a mistake that the only few quiet, peaceful moments in Ready Player One all take place in the real world. 
See, when we're logged on, we're distracted. It's a barrage. It never ends. And we've started to crave that buzz. We fear missing out. We have to be plugged into all of the latest things. But what we really desire is rest. It's built into us. And not only did God design us for it, he himself set the precedent for rest in Genesis 2, verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. And that intentional act of rest from God becomes the foundation for hundreds of commands all throughout the rest of the Bible to punch pause, to take time and rest, to breathe. In fact, one of God's most frequent promises to his people is that he will bring them rest. In fact, the book of Hebrews goes so far as to sum up all of heaven as rest. The writer of Hebrews looks at all of what heaven has to offer and the word he chooses to describe all of that is rest. I'm gonna be honest. At one point I had quite a few paragraphs here written about the importance of rest. But I don't need to convince you of this. You know this, you feel this. We're tired, we're weary. Despite everything about our online life fighting to keep it from happening, God's desire is for us to experience rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. See, God's design is for us to live in community. We're created for community, but not only that, we're designed to experience relationships that are characterized by contentment, by authenticity, and by rest. And when we find those things, we experience a full life the way that God intended it. But if we choose to live an online life, I think we'll find ourselves in the same place that Wade did, who in a line from the novel that didn't quite make it into the movie script said, I was just another sad, lonely soul wasting his life on a glorified video game. So then, what do we do about this? As much as we might wish that there was some Easter egg that we could find that would give us control of this online world, there isn't. And so we have to learn to live in a world where brokenness is the norm and where God's design doesn't come naturally. So I want to offer us three suggestions that we can take to help navigate this world. And the first one is to unplug. Unplug. Back off from your online life. Log out. Delete the apps. Put your phone in a drawer. Whatever you have to do to spend less time online, do it. In fact, I want to get specific here. Let's all take the rest of this week, the next five days. Let's take the next five days and completely 100% unplug from social media. In fact, go so far as to delete the app right now. I promise you'll survive. Your friends won't hate you. Your small business won't collapse. You won't sell less of the thing you sell. All of the political debates won't be decided in your absence. Five days. Let's take five days and unplug. Second, let's plug in. Let's take this time and use it to prioritize real human relationships. And ironically, these can happen online and they frequently do, but they happen best in face-to-face -face conversation. Fill that God-given need for community with people, not with posts. So invite someone out for coffee. Maybe have another couple over for dinner. Join up with your community group that you haven't seen since the last trimester ended and have a get-together. Maybe join a serving team here at Northridge. In fact, while we're on the topic of community groups, I don't know that there's a better place to work on all of this than in a Northridge community group. Our groups are literally designed to combat exactly the problems that we're talking about today. 
And if you haven't had a chance to experience one of our community groups, we've got an awesome opportunity for you coming up here in the next month. Our summer groups are starting up, and they're designed specifically for first-timers in a group so that you can get a feel for what a group's like. You're going to hear more about those in a couple minutes, but I'd encourage you to take that opportunity and plug into one of those. Lastly, I want to challenge all of us. Be authentic. When you do go back to social media, let's use it differently. Let's use our social media to build and further real, authentic relationships. Let's not try to build a platform. Let's not try to build a brand. Let's not chase likes and shares and spend countless hours crafting just the perfect caption. Let's just be our normal, real-life selves. And please, what I don't mean by this is let's all go home and write up these over-dramatic, this is me being authentic and showing all of my flaws posts. Because let's be honest, those make us feel better, but they just make everyone else play the comparison game all over again. So let's be relationship creators online. Let's log on with a goal of deepening and building relationships. Let's use the direct message feature more than the status feature. Let's be authentic with how we use our social media. Church, an online life provides us with the opportunity to be whoever we want to be and to do whatever we want. But at the end, it falls short of delivering precisely what it is that we desire most, which is a content, authentic, restful community. But maybe you shouldn't take my word for it. At the end of the story of Ready Player One, Wade meets James Halliday, the creator of the Oasis. And in a moment of honesty and vulnerability, James says this. He says, I created the Oasis because I never felt at home in the real world. I didn't know how to connect with people there. I was afraid for all my life, right up until the day I knew my life was ending. And it was then that I realized, as terrifying and painful as reality can be, it's also the only place you can find true happiness. See, James Halliday, despite having created a world that promises exactly the opposite, realized that true fulfillment, true purpose lies in building content, authentic, restful community here in the real world. But by the time he found it, it was too late for him. So he made it his mission to warn those who came after him. And I think it's the same warning that God has for us today about the online world that we've created for ourselves. So the question then for all of us is, are we willing to listen to that warning? Let's pray. God, you've created us to desire relationships, to desire to be connected to other people. You've wired us to live and to thrive in content, authentic, and restful community. God, we confess that the online worlds that we've created have done nothing but give us a cheap alternative to what you've made. So we just ask that you would give us the courage and the strength to take whatever step we need to pursue what you've designed us for so that we can find and experience the life that you have for us. We love you, and we're grateful for what your son Jesus did for us on the cross. And we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.